All right. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate your, um, and I don't want you to see this, so I'm going to stick it back here. All right, here we are. Uh, another day we have the privilege of opening God's Word together and learning from the text, all right? So uh, you take your copy of the Scriptures and meet me in Acts chapter 10, if you would. Acts chapter 10. Many of you are probably familiar with this passage of Scripture, but hopefully we'll learn some new things or some principles that we can put into practice in our daily lives as we serve our great God together. We continue this morning in our series on great sermons from the book of Acts. Again, this is not necessarily what you might think of as a sermon of somebody standing up behind a pulpit and preaching a message. This is more of a personal sermon to a particular group of people, um, but nonetheless, the truth of God's word is proclaimed, and so we'll see again that the Apostle Peter is preaching boldly the word of God. Let me take a moment to welcome our, our visitors to our church this morning. Uh, if you have not filled out a visitor card yet, you You'll find it at the bottom of your bulletin. The bulletin is perforated. You can fold it, tear it off, fill it out, drop it in the offering box, or hand it to me on your way out the door. That would be great. We'd love to have a record of your attendance. Thank you for joining us today. And we trust that as we continue our worship, because worship is not not just about song, but it is about being in God's word together as well. So as we continue our worship time this morning, uh, we are looking forward to jumping into Acts chapter 10. Um, Now, let me start with what my object lesson is. When I was growing up, um, one of my favorite foods um, had a certain word on it, and I had no idea what this word was. And I remember asking my mom, the word was kosher, okay? So I asked my mom, what in the world does kosher mean? I had no idea what that word meant, Um, and her answer probably was fitting for my age level, but her answer was, it's what Jewish people eat. Okay, so that's what kosher, and for a long time in my life, that's what I thought it was, and to some degree it is, but there is a whole lot more to something being kosher uh, than just that. In fact, I really probably didn't understand it fully until we got to South Africa, where not only is there this word kosher that is often used, but there's also this word uh, that the Muslims like to use, and it's the word halal, okay? Now, the word halal um, is, is what, if my mom were to answer the question, what is halal, she would have said, it's what Muslim people eat, okay? Um, Now, they're very similar in the fact that it's not just the okay food to eat, but it's the way it's been butchered and so many other things that lead up to what is kosher and what is halal. Uh, But this morning, we're going to think about kosher. Now, I did bring this with me, um, and the favorite food that it was was pickles, okay, Pickles. Now, my favorite brand back when I was growing up doesn't exist anymore. Um, It was called Warsaw Kosher Dills, okay? Um, And Kosher Dills were my favorite. Now, I don't know. um, Does anybody else like pickles? Does anybody else want a pickle? Um, I'm going to enjoy a Kosher Dill. They are so good. All right, crunchy, um, the right amount of spices, all that kind of good stuff. Anybody want to come? Got a pickle? You got to tell everybody how good they are, okay? Why is it only kids? Well, we got all the kids coming up. No adults want to go. Okay, Lee is a little older. Man, they're coming in droves now. Here they come. I'll get it for you. You're welcome. Anyone else? Oh, now you got to pick your own out because I just licked my fingers. All right. Kosher dills. Uh, What do you think? What's the consensus? They taste all right? 
It's a winner. Winner, winner, pickle dinner. All right. All right. Very good. So kosher. What is this whole thing about kosher? And where do we find it in Scripture? Well, this morning in Acts chapter 10, as I said, you might be familiar with this text. But this is when Peter is going to get a lesson on what is kosher and what is not kosher. And he's in for a shock. Now, you know who Peter is, right? What's Peter's nationality? He's Jewish, okay? So that means he should only be eating what? Kosher food, okay? Now, uh, from Peter's perspective, could he ever... And we got to feel sorry for Peter, okay? In his whole life up until this point, Peter had never tasted bacon. Man, poor guy, right? Child abuse, all right? Um, He never had it because pigs were... Off the, off the record, you couldn't eat a pig. You couldn't eat pork if you were Jewish. Now, there's a whole bunch of things in the Old Testament, Leviticus especially, that tell what you could and what you couldn't eat. Okay, uh, Some of the things that we really enjoy um, are, would be considered non-kosher. Okay? And Peter's in for a shock okay, as he hears from God about, now another word that you could use for kosher, at least in the Old Testament time frame and up until the Gospels and into the book of Acts, was clean, okay, is it clean or is it not clean, and by clean I don't just mean the physical outward appearance of something being clean, but is it clean according to the Old Testament law, to the Mosaic law, is it clean, is it acceptable, now, again, bacon was unclean, Remember we talked about, uh, even a, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about somebody touching a, a, a dead body. That made you unclean. When Jesus touched the lepers and healed them, that theoretically would make a person unclean because leprosy was something that would make you unclean. So there's all kinds of things that were considered clean and unclean. In our text this morning, we're going to see that Peter gets a lesson on what is clean, what is unclean, what is kosher, what is not kosher. Now, I do want you to remember last week we talked about the winds of change that are blowing at this time in the book of Acts. Those winds of change continue to blow and in fact they are at this point reaching gale force, okay, as we work our way through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10 breaks down nicely into a bunch of C words, okay? Maybe the C's will help you remember the flow of Acts chapter 10. So you can make better application of this chapter in your life. But if you would, would you stand with me? We're going to read together Acts chapter 10. We're only going to read the first eight verses because that kind of sets the tone of the book, of the text this morning for us. Read together with me from the screen, if you will. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Let's ask God to bless our time together in his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for um, the privilege of being together this morning in this place that we call church. 
Father, we know that the building is not the church, but the people who have gathered who know Jesus as their Savior and those who have a desire to follow in his ways, they are the church. And uh, we do thank you for this beautiful building. But Lord, we ask that as we have gathered together as the church this morning, your people, that we would learn from your word, that we would be challenged in the things of God. And we would learn from this lesson that you gave to the Apostle Peter uh, as he was dwelling at Simon the Tanner's house. Um, May we understand, Father, your words and your work this morning, and may it impact us and encourage us to be individuals who will, like Peter, communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who need to hear it so so needly, so needily need to have it presented to them, preached to them, talked about with them, gone over again and again if necessary with them, because it is the gospel that brings salvation, that makes a person right with you through Jesus Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we've read these first eight verses of the chapter, and I want you to think, Timothy, can you just go back to verse one of that text for us? Um, You might think, why the C's of the book, uh, I mean, why the C's of Acts chapter 10? Well, did you catch them as we were reading them? Um, Now there was a certain man, okay, there's the first C, uh, at Caesarea named Cornelius, okay? So there's a lot of C's, and it was called the Italian Regiment, or we could actually add a C there, change the R, the right word regiment to cohort, okay? So all of these C's get us going and thinking about who this man Cornelius was. So we want us, first of all, look at the character of Cornelius. We find out that this man Cornelius is quite a man. He's a man who... Um, If we were to use the old terminology, he was a man who feared God, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that he was afraid of getting zapped by God by a lightning bolt every time he stepped out of line. It means he had an awe and a respect and a reverence for the one true God. He didn't know him yet at this point. Um, But God was at work in his heart and working in his life, and he was bringing him to himself. But what's his history? What's the nature of this man, Cornelius? First of all, we see that his command. What is Cornelius' command? Now, Cornelius was a soldier, okay? He was a leader in the um, Roman army. Uh, We see that he was the centurion of the Italian band. In other words, he had about 100 men under his command. That's what the word centurion means, okay? He had about 100 men under his regiment in the Roman army. He would be what we might consider today a sergeant in the army or in Uh, Now, other branches don't use the same terms for leaders and commanders, but he would be like a sergeant in the army, okay? He was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. He was a man who had worked his way up through the ranks and now is in charge of a particular and reasonably well-known, the Italian band, the Italian regiment, okay? So we get an idea that Cornelius is this guy who is respected in the army and in his community. Um, So let's look for a moment also at his character. The Bible says here in verse 2 that he was a devout man. He was a devout man. The word devout here means um, he was pious. He has a reverence for God or the things of God. It does not mean that he was born again. Okay, Like I said, he, he, he at this point does not know the Lord as his Savior. So what does that mean for you and I? What does that mean for the people today in 2023? There are a lot of people who know about God, Right? There are a lot of people who um, even may respect God and fear God and reverence God. But among those people, there are a lot of people that don't know God, that don't have a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. They have not been rightly related to God through the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. So what does that mean? Well, it means that they are still, although they may be devout, although they may be religious, They are still on their way to hell because they have not made a profession. They have not trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They have not confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead. That's the difference. They have a head knowledge of who God is, 
but they don't have a heart knowledge. Your heart has not been transformed by the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as Peter, we'll see as the text rolls on, as Peter was willing to be obedient to God's call and command and go and present the gospel to this man, we need to be obedient to present the gospel to others that God brings into our lives. Maybe even religious people, yet people who don't know Jesus as their Savior. I mentioned uh, last week or the week before that I started working at Tractor Supply part-time. Now, let me just explain that quickly, okay? Um, it's not because the church can't afford to pay me a salary, all right? Uh, the church pays me, uh, and I'm very grateful for that. But we do have an adjustment coming up in our mortgage rate, okay? And when we got the loan, uh, what are we, uh, seven years ago, um, we had a very nice interest rate at 2.9%. Okay, we had an adjustment, I think it went up to like three point something, all right? We have another adjustment coming up in a year and a half. Now, we know that we're not going to be anywhere near three point whatever percent, okay? Um, so my desire and my request of the leadership team and of Carol is to take part of my salary, $100 a week, put it aside in savings, and at the end of the year, we'll dump that money um, onto the mortgage, Okay, so that's why we're doing what we're doing. It's not any financial strain that the church is under. Uh, I mean, we've been there, right? We all know that we've been in financial difficulties before, but God's been faithful and gracious and good to us all throughout the years. Um, so right now, even though we're doing fine, um, we want to be able to pay as much down on that principle before we hit the uh, next adjustment coming up. All right, so you can, you can pray about that. Maybe God would have you do something as well. Um, but I want you to know that um, as I work at Tractor Supply, I come across people who are religious people, okay? Uh, it was one of the nights I worked this week, and um, we had a, a bird get into the store. Now, we also in the store have these sensors, okay? Uh, and if the bird stays in the store all night long, the bird may very well set off the sensors, which triggers the alarm, which means the police have to come, which means our manager has to come. And so you know the, how that all works, right? There's some people who might not be very happy at 7 o'clock in the morning when they're supposed to open the store if they've had to come two or three times during the night because this bird is flying around. All right, so I said to the assistant manager, I said, well, you know, I said, uh, if you want me tomorrow, I'll bring my pellet gun and, uh, and, and I'll take care of this bird. And he says, yeah, I know, but I hate to kill, I hate to kill the bird. I said, well, they're only useless birds anyway. You know, there's those, those stupid little chickadee birds that, that really are a pain, okay? Um, they, and so I said, I said, well, we can take care of that. And he says, he says, well, what if someone was a useless person? What would you say about that? And I said, well, Ridge, I said, no person is useless, he says, well, why is that? I said, well, because every person has been created in the image of God. And, and so every person has value. Every person has a use. Every person is important in the eyes of God. And he's like, I knew you would have an answer like that for me. Um, so, so it's important as we come across these religious people that we share the gospel with them, that we communicate the truth to them, how they can go from a religious person. Because you know what? Can I tell you this? More people go to hell through the doors of religion than any other cause. Because they think they've got it right. They're doing this or they're doing that. And religion is, is, is I really think, a tool of Satan. Because people think they're following God and all they're really doing is following a religion. Well, you know, when, you, when, when we used to knock on doors, we can't really do that anymore. We don't do that anymore because it's not as effective. But we used to knock on doors and say, hey, I'm so-and-so from Calvary Baptist Church. I'd like to share something. Oh, I, I, I go to such and such a church. Not to pick on anybody, but often hear this. I go to the Catholic church. I loved, I, I mean, I loved to, to kind of blow them out of the water by saying, that's okay, I'm Catholic too. I thought you said you were a Baptist. Well, I am, but you know what the word Catholic means? means a churchgoer. That's all the word Catholic means. Now, in our culture, the word Catholic has been associated with a particular denomination, but you know what they put in front of that. It's not just Catholic. There's something else that goes in front of that that makes the religion that they follow, and it's very much a religion of works. And so uh, at the end of the day, if they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if they have not confessed their sins before God Almighty and asked Christ to be their Savior, then they are just religious, and they are not born again, and they are not right with God. And when they get before God and God says, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. The reason they're going there is because of the religion that has blinded their eyes. 
Cornelius was a religious man. He was a devout man, but he did not have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's his character. He was a good man, so to speak, as the world would say. We also see here Cornelius' consecration. Not only is he a devout man, but he's one who feared God. Again, this is something that is common among religious people. However, he still is lacking that personal relationship with God. There is no um, place in Cornelius' life where he has confessed his sin. He's asked God to forgive him of his sin. and He's asked God to enter into a relationship with him. Um, In my Nelson study Bible, there's a word study on this concept of one who feared God. Listen to what it says. Simply stated, this expression means God-fearer. So Cornelius was a God-fearer. Luke identifies such a category of people throughout the book of Acts. The God-fearers were Gentiles who were interested in Judaism, but were not necessarily converts or proselytes. They worshipped the same God and observed the same laws as the Jews did, but they did not become circumcised. Many of these God-fearers were the first Gentiles to become Christians. So God-fearers, are, they're kind of on their way. They're, they're looking for what's, what's right and what's true. And when they came across an Israelite who was doing what God called the Israelites to do, do you remember what that was? What did God call, call the Israelites to do? Let me give you a clue. It's the same thing we're called to do. Anybody know? Witness. They were to be the representatives of God in their world. That's what God called the Israelite people to do. To represent him in the Gentile world that surrounded them. God has called you and I as his children, as Christians, to represent him in the world that we are part of. We are in the world. God has placed us in the world. Why? To shine as lights in this world. To communicate the gospel to others so they may come to know Jesus as their Savior. So Cornelius had come across some Jews who were doing what they were supposed to do and they were doing it somewhat effectively because he now was interested in the things of God. He was uh, somewhat, some would say he was seeking after the things of God. Why? Because God was at work in his heart. Well, let's see, Cornelius takes that, um, that desire to be involved in the Jewish community and he turns that into something that is helpful to the Jewish people. And we see Cornelius's charity. It says there in the text, God gave alms to Jewish people. Alms is a gift of mercy given to the poor, given to those who are in need. Now, in many cases, alms was a monetary gift. Those that were poor, lame, or challenged in other ways often asked for alms. They would sit by the temple gate. They would sit by other places that were frequented by lots of people. And they would say, alms, alms for the poor. They would ask for people to give donations, give money to them, because they didn't have any way to make a living on their own. They couldn't work. They couldn't do whatever. So they were poor. They needed something. So they asked for alms. Today, we might consider these people to be beggars, okay? Many places in the Old Testament, the Jews were encouraged and even commanded to give to the poor, to give alms, if you will. Cornelius was a giver. Cornelius desired to help those who were in need. Now, let's take this one step further, and we're going to see Cornelius's consistency. This wasn't just something that Cornelius did on occasion. He did it regularly. It says here in the text that he prayed to God continually. Cornelius was a man who talked to God. Now, this does not mean that he prayed 24 hours a day because, look, he was a sergeant in the Roman cohort. He was a leader of a great number of people. What it really means is that he had this continuous practice of being one who spoke with God regularly. And he didn't abandon that practice. He continued doing it. He was committed to prayer no matter what. He prayed. Now, here's the thing. God heard, and and, and the same is true today. God hears the prayers of anyone who speaks to him. Now, it doesn't mean he answers those prayers. 
But God is able to hear the prayers of every person who ever utters his name. But he is committed to answer the prayers of those who are his children. Okay? You know, I, I think I've told this story before. Um, um, if I, when I taught Bible, and I used this in, a, in an illustration in my Bible ed class when I taught in Tableview High School in South Africa, um, I said, listen, if my son was in, excuse me, enrolled in school here and he had to buy a textbook and he came to me and he said, Dad, I forgot to bring money for my textbook. Can you give me some money to buy my textbook today? Otherwise, I'm going to get a demerit and I don't want that. Um, and I only had, let's say I only have 100 rand in my pocket. The textbook costs 100 rand. And, and so you then come to me. One of my other students comes to me and says, Pastor Mowers, um, I forgot to bring money for my textbook today. Can you give me 100 rand? I hear you, but who am I going to answer? I'm going to answer my son because I have a relationship with my son. He's, he's personally related to me. And so God hears those who are personally related to him through Jesus Christ. And he will answer them. He will act upon their needs. He's not obligated, just like I'm not obligated to give anything to my student who comes to me and says, hey, I need 100 rand to buy a textbook. I say, sorry, I can't help you, or I'm not going to help you, um, but I'm going to help my son because we know each other and we love each other. You see, that's the way it is with God. God was under no obligation to, hear, to answer Cornelius' prayer. He heard it, and the text says that the angel, when he came to Cornelius, that the angel said, hey, your prayers have come up before God, and God is acting on those prayers. That was a, that was a unique situation for Cornelius, a tremendous blessing for him that God would hear the prayer of an unregenerate person. But you know what? This unregenerate man is seeking to know God, and so God always hears the prayers of those who are desiring to come into a right relationship with him. He will never turn you away. I know my sheep, and my sheep hear my name, and I will come unto those who call to me. Jesus said that. I will in no wise cast them out. That's God at work in the lives of an individual. So seeing all of this about Cornelius, um, we, we're going to draw some conclusions about him, right? We see that Cornelius was a religious man. He was a man that had a head knowledge about God, but he did not have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ at this point. If Cornelius was alive today, we might put a label on Cornelius. Anyone want to take a guess at what that label is? Starts with an S. Cornelius is a, a seeker. Okay? Now, I, I need to tell you a little bit about that word seeker, okay? I don't believe that anybody seeks after God in, in and of themselves. Scripture is very clear about that. There is none that seeks after God. There is none that does, does right. Uh, we have turned everyone to their own ways. All we like sheep have gone astray. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one that seeks after God in and of themselves, so you say, Pastor, what does it mean then to be a seeker? Well, a seeker is one, I believe, who is under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God is at work in his life. God is drawing them to himself. God is working in a way that says, hey, listen, I want you to come to me. I want you to be in a right relationship with me. And he brings, us, he brings people across the paths of, of these seekers who are under conviction to hear the gospel. Because you know what? Romans 10 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. People do not seek in and of themselves. They seek when they're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and God is drawing them to himself. It's very, very clear, Romans, or Psalm 53, 2 and 3 says, There's no one who understands, there's none who seek after God. They have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable. There's no one who does good, no, not one. Okay? Jesus says it himself over in John, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. God is at work in Cornelius' life. Here's the other thing. And, and this is where we hold to a particular set of doctrines that not everybody in Christendom holds to. We believe that if God is calling an individual to himself, that individual will respond to the gospel message. Because God is sovereign. God will not call somebody who is not a believer, not going to be a believer. God and I don't want to get into the whole discussion of foreknowledge and election and all of that kind of stuff, but it's all found in the pages of Scripture. If you want to have a discussion about that at some other time, we can do that. 
Okay? Um, we believe the scriptures to teach that God draws people to himself, and when he does that, people will respond to his calling. Because God, if they don't, then God's not sovereign. Right? There's a lot at stake here. So when God calls people to himself, they will respond to the gospel message. God told Cornelius he should send to Joppa for the apostle Peter. This man, Peter, we know who he is, right? He preached the first message on the day of Pentecost. God used him to bring thousands of people to Christ through that one message. Peter has been a faithful communicator since his restoration uh, to a right walk with God. So he says, go send for Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner. So Cornelius did what? He was obedient. He sent some of his servants to bring Peter back to himself. Now, as we get into verses 9 through 23, we haven't read them. We're not going to read them, but I'll point out different aspects from the text. Uh, We don't have time to read it this morning. It's a long text. Um, But Peter has some concerns. We see the concerns that Peter has. Um, Those of you who know this account know that God had to do some extraordinary things in the life and in the mind of the apostle Peter before he would go to Cornelius's house to preach the gospel to this Gentile. Remember what Gentiles were according to the Jews? They were the dogs of society. They were not liked by the Jewish people. They were considered to be uh, not worthy of the gospel message. Simon Peter's interesting where he's staying. Let me catch that. Where is Simon staying? At Simon's house. What's Simon's? And why does God, by the way, give us the occupation of Simon? What is Simon? A tanner. What does that mean? He doesn't, believe me, listen, he didn't have tanning beds in his parlor, okay? Okay, so he had dead animals in his house. Simon the tanner was what? Unclean. So technically, if Peter's staying at Simon's house, he's most likely what? Unclean. God doesn't work in coincidences, okay? God had Simon Peter at Simon the Tanner's house for a very specific purpose and reason. To set the stage for what's going to happen. All right, Simon the Tanner worked with the skins of dead animals. And you can believe that this was not Peter's choice, but it was God's provision. Now, let's see how God continues to address Peter's concerns. Um, first of all, P- Peter's revelation, all right? It was noon, so Peter wasn't sleeping. It was noon, um, and he was hungry, but the food was not ready. Huh, I wonder what he was eating. Well, anyway, we won't ask that question. Uh, so he went up to the roof to pray, and while he was up there, he fell into a trance. And while he was in a trance, he received a message from the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question, and I, I don't expect an answer, but I'm going to give you the answer. Why, why did he need revelation from God? Because he didn't have the whole counsel of God's word. He didn't have all of the Bible. Okay, so we hear our, in Acts chapter 10, visions and revelation from God in spectacular ways is still happening. Because they don't have the whole counsel of God's word at this point. Peter falls into a trance. He has a vision. And this is how the vision went. A sheet gathered at the four corners, descended down from heaven. And in the sheet were all kinds of animals, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. Certainly a whole host of unclean things were in this sheet that descended. And then all of a sudden, Peter hears a voice. And the voice says to Peter, says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. In other words, get up, Peter, choose something from the sheet, kill it which meant that the body was what? Dead, which means if Peter ate it, he was unclean. Okay, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Now, Peter would have struggled with this because from a child, all Jewish children were taught that they were not even to so much as touch an animal that was unclean, let alone eat something that was unclean. And Peter's thinking to himself, this is not kosher. I can't kill and eat. So Peter replies to the Lord who had said, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Peter says, <coughs> excuse me, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean, and I'm not going to start now. That last part's my addition. 
For, this, for his whole life, Peter had been obedient to the law that God gave Moses. He he'd strive, it was his goal not to break or transgress the law. <coughs> Excuse me. He, he wanted to be obedient to, must be the pickles. Um, he wanted to be obedient to the law of God and to the law of Moses. Because he is a... Jew, at least at this point in his mind, he thinks he's a Jew. He hasn't read that passage because Paul hasn't written it yet where it says there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, we're all one in the Lord. He's going to still learn that lesson. He hasn't learned it yet, okay? But in Acts chapter 10, he's still in his mind, I'm, God, I'm a clean Jew. I'm a, good, I'm a good practicing Jew. I can't rise, kill, and eat. I've never touched anything unclean. He considered himself to be clean according to the Mosaic law. Now, I had to chuckle when I read what J. Vernon McGee said in his Through the Bible commentary. This is his comment here. Um, now, don't miss this. Here is a man who is on this side of the day of Pentecost. In other words, he's into the church age. Okay, He's on this side of the day of Pentecost. He's living in this age of grace when it makes no difference whether we eat meat or whether we don't eat meat. However... Peter is still abiding by the Mosaic system, and he is not eating anything that is ceremonially unclean. He is sincere and honest about it. Someone may say that he ought to be broad-minded and eat everything. Well, you see that the Lord is teaching him that he is no longer under the Mosaic law and is free to eat anything. Today, the big problem is that some people decide they don't want to eat meat, then they try to put everyone else under the same system. My friend, get this, under grace, you can eat meat or not eat meat. That's your business. Eating some certain food may give you indigestion, but it certainly will not change your relationship with the Lord. That's what made me chuckle. And J. Vernon McGee has a way of putting things. You, can ha- you, can, you may not eat something because it gives you indigestion, but it doesn't make you have a better standing before God. Okay? So um, we understand that what Peter was about to eat or not to eat didn't determine his cleanliness or uncleanliness before God. Now here's what the Lord's reply is to Peter when Peter says, Nuh-uh! Not me. I can't do that, God. I'm a clean person. I don't eat unclean food. The Lord said to Peter, What God has cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. This is the lesson that God is teaching Peter. It takes on real significance here. God wants Peter to understand there is a change in the way things work. Remember, the winds of change are now at gale force. They are are becoming very evident. God is doing things differently in this new age. In this age that we call the church age. The vision was a sign from heaven that Jews were no longer called Gentiles unclean. Why? Because the Gentiles are going to make up the vast majority of the church. And the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary has cleansed us from what? All unrighteousness. We are not to be calling other people unclean. That is God's business, not man's business. From that point on, these two groups, Jews and Gentile, would be on equal footing before the Father. That's the revelation. And you know what? We know Peter doesn't like change, right? So what does God do? He sends the vision again. He repeats the vision. There's the repetition of the vision. This interchange happened three times between Peter and God. God was breaking down Peter's prejudices. We're not going to get very deep into this discussion, but you know what? As Christians, we have prejudices. And we need to make sure that we don't allow those prejudices to prevent us from clearly communicating the gospel. You all know that I lived and ministered in South Africa for uh, 16 years. Uh, I had an experience in, with South Africa over, over more like 20 years from the first time I went to the time we left for the last time. Um, South Africa had this unique thing called apartheid. Okay, started back in the 1950s. I'm not going to give you a whole lesson on apartheid, but uh, it's not as old as some people might think it is. 1950s, not that long ago. 
Okay? But that's when apartheid became, came into existence. It became the law of the land in South Africa under the national government. Okay? Um, and when, by the time we got there, in, um, <clears throat> first time for me was 1988. Okay? I went as a mapper, and then we went back after we got married in 1989. Uh, and at, in 1989, 1990, the walls of apartheid were being dismantled. Um, F.W. de Klerk and Nelson Mandela were working together to take down that heinous sin against the people of South Africa. Okay? Um, and, and when we got there, apartheid was no longer law of the land. Okay? So whites didn't have all the privileges that they used to have under the law. Let me just say this. Apartheid was never meant to be a mean-spirited thing. It was a mis- they drew it up under misconceptions, and they were deceived, and, and they put it into practice, and it became something, it began to snowball, it became something that they could not stop, except if they made more and more laws to keep it into control and, and give them the privileges they wanted. It became something very, very ugly, okay? Um, but uh, under, the, under the reign of uh, F.W. de Klerk and through the help of Nelson Mandela, they transitioned from the apartheid era to a non-apartheid area in a very... Well, let's say a relatively peaceful way, something that most people who studied culture at that time didn't think could ever happen, a peaceful transition, okay? But God was at work there, and he, he caused it to be a peaceful transition. But you know what? The older people, especially the older white people, struggled for years and years and years. I remember sitting in the house of an older lady in our church, and um, a lot of the older South Africans had what we called old money, Okay, um, and she had a what they called a granny flat in the back of her house, and and her girl, as she called her, lived in that granny flat. Now this lady took care of all the needs this girl had. She paid her. She wasn't really a girl. She was older. She paid her everything she had. She was uh, a servant for this lady, um, and this girl decided because things were changing, she would go into this lady's lounge or living room and watch TV with the mistress of the house, the lady of the house. Mistress is not a bad word there, okay, at least in that context. She would go in and sit down, and, and I went to visit her, and, and she said, Pastor, you won't believe what happened last night. I'm like, what happened? My girl, now this girl is, is a black girl, okay? My girl came into my lounge and sat down and watched my TV. I'm like, So? You can't do this. She can't do that. It's my lounge. Like, okay, it's your lounge, but why can't she do it? Because she's my girl. She works for me. She's my servant, in essence. And to boot, she's got black skin. Now, obviously, there's racism going on there. It's inbred, and nobody's excusing it away. But, you see, there is no racism. When we were getting ready to go to South Africa, we would use that, that verse in Romans 10 where it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. We used to tell people there's neither black nor colored, white nor Indian, because those were the four people groups that apartheid had legislated uh, to be in effect. God does not care what your skin color is, what your nationality is. His son, Jesus, shed his blood on the cross for mankind, and everyone deserves to hear the gospel message. God does not care. And he's telling Peter that in that vision. It does not matter. I do not consider anyone to be clean or unclean. That's a lesson we need to hear in our world today. We thought we turned the corner on racism in America many years ago, didn't we? It's alive and well. It's spewing out its hatred in our world today. And as Christians, we cannot participate in that. We must be representatives of the one true God who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and love everyone. That's what God has called us to do. We see the result of Peter's encounter with the Lord. Peter is, is intent. He knows what is clean. He knows what is unclean. But here we see that, that God had done a work in Peter's life. And you know what Peter does? He willingly goes to Caesarea with the servants of Cornelius the Gentile. 
Take a look at verse 20. And God said, Arise. Acts chapter 10, verse 20. God said, Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And then jumping to verse 23. On the next day, Peter went with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. This is the work of God at, going on in the life of Peter and in the life of the church, and in the life of the social community at the time, and the Jewish culture of the day, God is working. And we should never stop it. We should never get in the way of what God is doing. So here we have this idea that Peter is concerned about certain things. God wipes those concerns all away. And now what has happened? In verses 24 through 43, we see the communication of the gospel. You know what? The gospel breaks down barriers. When we got to South Africa, we didn't want to have a single culture church. We wanted to have a multicultural church. And to God be the glory, praise God, Grace Baptist Church of Tableview had white people, black people, Indian people, um, colored people, uh, people from all walks of life. I told you before that on, on Wednesday night's prayer meeting, you could walk around the church and you could hear people praying in multiple different languages, five or six different languages, seven languages, people talking to God. I didn't understand them all, but so what? God did. And that was just a reflection of who was represented in our church. All people. A microcosm of what God wants in our lives and ministry. Now I understand in some places you don't have very many. Like right here in Preble, we don't have a lot of people of other races in the area. But if somebody were to come in, we should certainly welcome them. And can I, can I remind you, I've said this before, in God's eyes, there are not multiple races. There's one. It's called the human race. We are all one. We are all brothers and sisters. We're all from Adam, all descended from Adam. The same blood runs through our veins. We might look a little different, but God doesn't take looks into account. It's a good thing, especially for my sake. Okay? So what we have here... God, Peter is going to communicate the gospel. What's the congregation he's communicating it to? Well, Cornelius' family. These people are not Jews. God says, Peter, you need to go preach the truth of the gospel message to people who are not Jews, to people who are not like you. Cornelius' family, he gathered, he knew Peter was coming, so he gathered all of his family together. This was not a small crowd. In verse 27 it says, And as he talked with them, he went in and found many who had come together, lots of people who had come together to hear the words of Peter because they believed they were the words of God. When you represent God, and this is another reminder that the words that come from this pulpit should always be the truth. When, when you represent God, you better speak the truth. These people came to hear God's representative speak to them. And so we, we preach the truth. Peter, first of all, starts out by clearing the air. He reminds them that he was, I'm a Jew, Peter said. He should not, and, and, and as a Jew, you know what? I should not be keeping company with Gentiles because it's not lawful. However, as he makes this statement, it is clear that he has learned the lesson that God wanted him to learn because he told Cornelius this. He said, but, and there's that wonderful word, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So with that understanding in mind, Peter accompanied Cornelius' men back to Caesarea, and he preaches the gospel. He gets there, and Cornelius welcomes them in, and then Cornelius chronicles the account of his vision from God. He says, four days ago I was fasting. When a man in bright clothing appeared to me and told me that my prayers had been answered and God has remembered my alms. This angel said to me, this is what you must do. And so I did it. You have done well, Peter. Thank you so much for coming. And, and we have gathered together to hear what God is going to tell us through you. Wow, that's, you know, a preacher always knows that he's, well, a preacher should know that what he says should be coming from the word of God, should be coming from God. But to be reminded by your congregation, your audience, if you will, that that's your responsibility. Oh, okay, these people are on top of it. These people want to know what God has to say. Every preacher should communicate what God wants him to say. If he, if he doesn't, shame on him. And there's a lot of people with shame on him in our world today. Just throwing that out there too. 
Um, and Peter communicates the message. Here's the gospel from Peter to Cornelius and the other Gentiles that had gathered. He said, in a truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He agrees with James. God doesn't care what your race is, what your nationality is, what your background is. God does not care. He's not a God who shows partiality. In every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Righteousness comes from the word, the word of God, which God sent to the children of Israel. What is the word? This is the word. Peace comes, peace with God comes through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ because he is the Lord of all. Whatever other religion you might be following, you might be tangled up in, forget it. It doesn't work. It's only through Jesus Christ that you can have peace with God. And then Peter reminds them that Jesus is the word. Who is the word? What is the word? The word is Jesus Christ. The word that is proclaimed throughout all Judea and has begun to be and has begun to be proclaimed in Galilee after the baptism which John preached. God anointed Jesus, his son. He's preaching. This is his message. He's sharing the gospel with these, with these Gentiles, with these friends and family of Cornelius. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. This is much like what John wrote over in John 1. Only John wrote from a Jewish mindset and Peter speaking to to Gentiles. But here's what John said from the mouth of an eyewitness. John said, all of all the things which he did both in the land and in the Jews and in Jerusalem, everything that Jesus did, we're proclaiming it to you. Whom they, who's they? The Jews. Who bears the shame for putting Jesus to death? The Jews. All of us have a part, but the Jews were the nation that put him to death. Remember Pilate washed his hands? He said, hey, you, take him, do, as you, do what you think is best according to your law. It was the Jews who hanged him on the tree. Whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him, Jesus, God, God raised on the third day and showed him openly not to, all, not to all the people but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him and after he rose from the dead. We have seen him. We know he is alive. We are eyewitnesses to this. And then he talks about the charge of the gospel. Once a person responds to the gospel, you know what your responsibility is? Tell others the good news. Communicate the truth to others. You need to share the good news that Jesus was ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. We don't have any right to judge. God is the judge. And if you want to escape the judge's guilty condemnation, you must trust in Jesus Christ. To him, all the prophets, to Jesus, all the prophets witness that. Through his name, you can be made right with God. And then John says, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. Will receive what? Salvation! Will be made right with God. Well, in verses 44 through 88, or 44 through 48, we have the conclusion of the matter, and we also have the conclusion of our sermon this morning. We see here the salvation of the Gentiles was the real deal. While Peter was still speaking these words, while Peter was still preaching, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And that word heard means heard, received, and believed. These Gentiles had come to know Jesus as their Savior. We've been talking about the winds of change. Again, I say to you, they are at gale force right now. And you know what you and I as previous Gentiles should be saying and thinking? Praise God. Thank you, Lord. To, to you, God, be the glory. The salvation of the Gentiles was recognized by the Jews. Not only was it the real deal, but it was recognized by the Jews. Dr. Luke writes this, and he says, And those of the circumcision, that's the Jewish people who believed, who came with Peter. We read earlier that there were certain men who, from Joppa who accompanied Peter. Those brethren, those Jews... They were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles as well, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. You see, those Jews that came with Peter recognized and realized that Cornelius and those who believed in his household came to know Jesus as their personal Savior. They were genuinely born again. 
Amen to that. We should be rejoicing when anyone comes to know Jesus as their Savior. Isn't it a blessing to see these Jewish people rejoicing when the Gentiles came to know Jesus as their Savior? What does that show? That shows true repentance. shows a change that only God can bring about in a person's life. And then lastly, we see the salvation of the Gentiles was followed by reverence. Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, let's, let's read the verse. Then Peter answered... Peter, again, speaking, uh, he says, Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. We're seeing a pattern here, aren't we? When a person is saved, when a person is born again, their desire should be to be obedient. And part of that obedience, then, is to be baptized. These were older men and older women, not children. These were, these were people who were thinking about becoming Jews. That's what meant they were devout men. And if they were to become Jews, you know what? They would have had to be baptized. That was part of the proselyting process. But now they're not being proselytized, not being baptized into Judaism. What are they doing? They want to be baptized into the truth. They want to be baptized into the right relationship with God. So uh, Peter says, these men and women should be baptized. Again, let me read something from the Nelson Study Bible. It says this, willingness to be baptized is the consistent response in the book of Acts to all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It is the appropriate response as a regenerated heart to believe and then to follow that belief with baptism well as we've said the winds of change continue to blow and the gospel continues to spread we see that certain things remain constant though even though all of these things might be changing what are the constants in all of it as the winds blow well obedience to the call of God in a messenger's life Peter was called of God to go to a Gentile a very difficult task for him. It took three visions for him to respond to, the, to be obedient to the call of God. But obedience in the call of God, of call, the call of God in a messenger's life. Two, we see consistent preaching of the truth about Jesus Christ. Why is that so important? Well, you know, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. The only way you can be saved is through the consistent preaching of Jesus Christ. Number three, that preaching of the word leads to faith and repentance. There is never a place for works in the gospel message. People are never saved by works. They're only saved by preaching and responding to the preaching of the word of God. Number four, and by the way, that message will never change. It's, all, it's God's plan, it's God's way, it will be uh, till the end of time. Number four, when a person believes and is saved, it should be followed by an obedient action. That action is baptism. It was also common for those that put their faith and trust in Christ to praise and magnify his name for the great things he has done in their lives. You see, when you get saved and then you get baptized, what do you do about it? What do you do with that information? You tell others. When I've had the privilege of leading others to the Lord, I tell them, you need to tell somebody else who is a believer about what happened in your life today. You can get on the phone now, you can call them, you can get in your car, you can go visit them, but you need to tell others. And not just one or two, you need to tell everybody. You need to tell people what God did in your life. Don't be ashamed, don't be afraid. Let people know what the good news has done for, excuse me, for you, and it can do it for them as well. So here we sit today. What do we do with the winds of change? What do we do with the idea of is it kosher or is it not kosher? Should I or shouldn't I? Yes, you should communicate the truth to others. Yes, if you've not been baptized since you Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You should be baptized. Yes, you should tell the good news to other people. You need to be growing in your, work, in your walk with the Lord. It's part of your growth process to communicate the good news to others. And then to live for the Lord. And can, can we steal a line from a not-so-new song anymore? Live out loud. <coughs> Stephen Curtis Chapman sang that in a song. Live out loud. Don't hide it. Don't, don't shelter it behind something. Let everyone know that you know and love Jesus and you want to serve him with all of your life. God is waiting for an obedient response from you and I this morning.
and he's wondering what your response will be. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you. Thank you again for this man, Peter, who willingly obeyed your call to go and preach the good news, preach the word to someone else. Thank you so much for Cornelius and his willingness to respond to the gospel message, (coughs) to hear the words of truth, and then not only to believe, but after his belief, after he trusted Jesus as his Savior, to be baptized, to demonstrate to others. As As the head of the Italian band, hundred soldiers underneath him, he willingly obeyed and was baptized. Probably many of those soldiers saw him get dunked under the water and raised up and, and testify of his willingness and his obedience to serve and follow the Lord. What a testimony. What an example that you and I should follow. Thank you, Father, for the fact that it's all kosher because your son died for mankind. You're not partial. You have no care or concern about a person's heritage or background. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Help us to take the good news of others this week to them that they might hear and repent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.